What a joy it is to be with you this morning and to be in the pulpit. It is always a particular joy on the blessing of the backpacks to see the gift of our young people in our midst as they receive God's blessing and a tag to go with them for the year that they would know that God is always with them, not only in the walls of this church building, but as they venture out into a new school year. And as Mark said, I don't think many of us will long forget that they um, fully understand the uses of salt, um, particularly for a good margarita. This morning, we do continue our summer sermon series, summer mixtape, in which we have been exploring familiar and less than familiar stories from the Bible so that we might come to understand and know God's story in our own lives in new ways. Today, we are going to explore a passage from Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a passage that appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and is often quoted for its familiar images of salt and light. We are going to take a look at it this morning to see what it has to offer us as a community of faith. Listen now for God's word. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of this day give you thanks for the opportunity to gather as your people in worship. That we might hear your word, but also that we might hear your word and be sent out in your service. So in the moments ahead, silence within us any voice but your own. Speak to us and allow us to hear. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. In between my junior and senior years of college, my parents sent me to see a career counselor. I had dropped my pre-med major and cycled through the English, political science, history, philosophy, art theory, and psychology departments. I was one year from graduating and no closer to declaring a major and most importantly, in my parents' mind, finding a job. I wanted to find that thing that I was meant to do with my life. My parents thought that paying the bills was a good place to start. And so after six weeks of career counseling, personality inventories, and soul searching, I walked into the kitchen of the home in which I grew up and told them that I felt God was calling me to be a Presbyterian minister. After a few moments of silence, my dad said, I'd like my money back. <laughs> he was all for thinking outside of the box, but he was hoping that meant a business degree with a minor in Spanish. 
truth is, you don't have to be called to professional ministry to ask questions of meaning and purpose. Any good psychologist will tell you that we all need four things to thrive. Belonging, self-esteem, the ability to shape and change our own circumstances, and meaningful existence. Whether you are a full-time parent who are raising children in a messy and chaotic world, whether you work in an office or in a doctor's office as a student, heading back to your first days of school joyfully or reluctantly, whether you are retired or volunteer in the community, we all need to know that our lives matter. And the church says that they do. In fact, the Reformed tradition says that we are all called to the ministry. A minister's ordination does not signify a separate calling, but in fact, a different function. That is different tasks and responsibilities. Our robes and stoles don't confer hierarchies of holiness with us up here and you down there. Most elders and deacons, several of whom will be ordained and installed today, are dismayed to learn that their ordination vows are virtually identical to those of ordained clergy, something we often fail to mention until after they have said yes. So if you see anyone leaving during the offering, you'll know they just found out. But in the Reformed tradition, everyone is considered a minister. Everyone is considered a priest. A person gifted and equipped to serve God in a particular and important fashion. And that is exactly what Jesus is getting at in our scripture passage this morning from the Gospel of Matthew. It's part of Jesus' famous teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. This teaching on salt and light is a bridge between the Beatitudes and Jesus' ethical teachings. It's also helpful to know that by the time that Matthew's gospel is written down, Christian believers in Matthew's congregation find themselves living in a time of great theological and social tension. Now, I'm sure there's never been another time like that. But it, but it happened once in this first century community. And so some of the members of Matthew's congregation thought that they should turn inward and keep to themselves, stick to the spiritual truth. Others in the community thought that it would be a better idea to go on the offensive, boldly living the ethical demands of Jesus, letting the Roman Empire know what's up. And so in the midst of a heated debate concerning the political and religious course that Israel was to steer, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So, what did Jesus mean by that? Salt and light really are odd descriptions, don't you think? For starters, neither of those things are rare. They are valuable to be sure, but not rare. These days, you can find a salt shaker on just about any kitchen or restaurant table. This wasn't always the case for salt. 
Salt in particular has served as a valuable commodity throughout time. In the ancient world, salt was prized as a preservative, a currency, and a flavoring. In fact, human history has long been shaped in crucial ways by salt, from trade routes to government monop monopolies. Our Rideau vocabulary even has traces of salt's long-standing influence. The word salary, for example, derives from a Latin term for a soldier's allowance for the purchase of salt. Light, too, is common, but also valuable. Light enables us to see things. It's the kind of energy that gives color, that helps vegetation grow, that provides solar power for electricity. Without it, we would be sorely limited to what we could accomplish in a day. Some of you might be delighted to know that in full irony, my electricity went out while working on this sermon. <laughs> no joke. Construction in my neighborhood busted the power grid, and so trying to write a sermon in the dark without air conditioning or internet and the slow beep of the fire alarm brings a new meaning to the phrase, by grace through faith. <laughs> Both salt and light are ordinary elements, but both are indispensable to the world around them. And so perhaps that is one reason that Jesus uses those images. Ordinary, everyday things through which the extraordinary promises of God are at work. After all, did you notice that Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth? and the light of the world. Not someone else, not the person sitting too down from you in the pew, but you. <coughs> Jesus also doesn't say you will be the salt of the earth or you should be the salt of the earth. He says you are the salt of the earth already, right now. When we live as God intends, we acknowledge that while our lives are ordinary, they are also commissioned by God for extraordinary purposes. God has given each of us gifts through which God can work through us. It's the embodiment of what Martin Luther meant when he spoke of the priesthood of all believers. Each one of us is a minister, a priest, called to serve in our own way. We are all doing the work of God in the world wherever our calling has taken us. This is vitally important. Your true calling is to connect your faith with your participation in the world as a homemaker, banker, a physician, an attorney, a teacher, a fireman, a student. There is no divide between sanctuary and shop, no divorce between worship and workplace. There are not two classes of Christians, the ordained and everybody else. God has given each of us a gift, and each gift is of equal importance. Part of the task of the Christian faith is to figure out what we are gifted at and how God can work through us no matter who we are or how we spend our days. Begs the follow-up question, doesn't it? How do you know what your assignment 
is. A career counselor is certainly an option if you're discerning your work vocation, although as my parents learned, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Hollywood often portrays finding your calling as a voice that comes in the night. That voice often sounds a lot like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> but my experience is that that rarely, if ever, happens. It hasn't happened to me and it hasn't happened to anybody that I know. For most of us, figuring out where and how God is calling us to use our gifts takes time and discernment. It takes listening to our own inner life and also to those around us. I also believe that discerning our call can change, that perhaps we don't have one calling but many. God uses us in different ways in different seasons. The starting point is always to figure out what our gift is. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, theologian Parker Palmer describes it this way. He says, finding your gift is wherever your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Palmer's description always makes me think of the 1981 British film Chariots of Fire. It's probably one of the most famous running films of all time. The movie's protagonist, Eric Liddell, is a Scottish Olympic hopeful, and he's trying to discern God's call for his life, a call between the opportunity to be a Christian missionary and his love for competitive running to which he also feels called. In an argument with his sister on the subject, he says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but God has also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Every one of us is a minister, a priest, called to serve through our gifts in our own way. And the first place to start is to find out what your gift is. Now, if you're getting a little bit worried that you don't know, it's also helpful to remember that both with salt and with light, a little bit goes a long way. I have a friend whose doctor has ordered him to cut back on his sodium intake with a salt-free diet. I made the mistake the other day of asking him how it was going. As you might suspect, not well. No salt, no taste. What a difference just a few grains of salt can make. Light, too, is fragile, but even in small quantities, it can make quite an impact. You've experienced this if you have ever been out in the church parking lot after a meeting trying to find your keys in the dark. Just a little bit of light from your cell phone can make all the difference between going home and spending the night at the church. <laughs> and the darker the darkness, the less light you need to show the way. Which is to say, by the grace of God, just a little bit of kindness, generosity, courage, compassion, by a few of God's people goes a long way toward the salvation of the world. It's also true that neither salt nor light exist for their own sake. Their value is both found in their usefulness. We learned today from the children, salt is one of the few things that can enhance the flavor of other things, 
added in just the right time, in the right way, in the right amount, enlivens the flavors of the other meal. Pepper can only make things more peppery. But salt makes other flavors, other people, themselves only more so. Similarly with a light, a hillside city may guide a traveler along the way or usher someone into safe harbor. An oil lamp can illuminate a whole house, making a whole host of other activities, including writing a sermon possible. It would be both dangerous and absurd to put a lamp under a basket, rendering it invisible. And so when we find our gift to use in service to God and to the world, it is to be used to bring God glory, not us. Theologian Thomas Aquinas, speaking to his congregation, reminded them that our light is always reflected light. We are more like the moon than the sun. Jesus is the sun, the source of our light, and we are reflections of that light. And so we shine God's love in the world. We bring out the richness of other people, of the larger communities of which we are a part. In her book, Come Sing, Jimmy Joe, Katherine Patterson tells the story of a boy whose family are rising country music stars. And Jimmy Joe, one of the brothers, is a good singer. In fact, he's the best singer in the family. But Jimmy Joe hates to sing in public. And one day, his grandmother, sensing his unhappiness and his struggle with his gift, pulls him aside for a pep talk. And she says, Jimmy Joe, God don't give no private presents. God don't give no private presents. Our gifts are always to be used to shine God's love, God's glory in the world for the betterment of the whole community. Not just this community, but the whole community of Dallas. As I thought about my calling and God's calling for each one of you and our life together, I thought of so many of you being salt and light in the world in which you are a part. I also couldn't help but think of my friend Carl Webb. At 99, Carl has been living out his call to be salt and light by making birthday phone calls to members of his 2,000-member congregation for the last 18 years. By his estimate, Carl has joyfully sung happy birthday 36,000 times. Professionally, Carl is a real estate agent. But the gift that God gave him was a gift for singing that brought him joy. And so Carl sang in the church choir, but also in local companies and choirs and barbershop quartets. But in 1998, Carl found out that he had a vision problem. And quickly he was no longer able to see the music. So he had to give up singing in the choir. And he thought that was the end of his gift. Until one day Carl walked past that whiteboard in the church office that listed the names of those in the congregation who had an upcoming birthday. And he thought, huh, I could do something about that. And so to this day, with his nose almost touching the birthday list as he reads the name and telephone number, 
and then moves to the phone. Getting as close as possible to the numbers on the dial, he dials slowly. Sometimes he has to redial because he got the wrong number. When he finally reaches the person, or most often their voicemail, he belts out a rousing tune of happy birthday in a still, strong tenor voice. And he ends the call by saying, I'm your Christian brother, and I love you. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So be light where there is no light, in dark places. Bring out the true flavor of what it means to be truly alive. Be life givers for others. Love each other. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Friends, if we are to be the church in which God calls us, it is our task to find our gift and to let God shine through us for all the world to see. All thanks be to God. Amen.